How was the walk this morning? I'm, I'm, I was very aware as my family and I were driving up that we, we have a bit of a parking challenge in our neighborhood. Is that, is that an understatement? <laughs> now, now I'm really sensing the scowls for like for real this time. <laughs> um, yeah, we do have a parking challenge. There's, I don't, like, I'm, I don't know, I don't have any like great solutions, but I do know there's a big empty lot across the street right there. And we have been putting some feelers out. Um, we've contacted the owners of that lot. Um, we've even done some research in terms of like zoning and stuff with the city. Um, it looks like the zoning thing um, would probably be the biggest obstacle to get over if we were to actually try to lease that lot or somehow convert it into a parking space. If, if it's meant to be, uh, I have no doubt that God will help us. Um, but I wanted to say this. Eventually, it's going to start raining, like all the time. And there's going to be mornings where you're thinking to yourself, do I really want to walk two blocks in the rain to this building? Um, I hope so. I hope you do. Here's my encouragement to us. Um, as we're figuring out how to actually be community of Jesus and, and use this building that God has blessed us with um, and form a community here. Obviously, we, we, we have life outside of this building, but, but this is like a hub. God has blessed us with this space um, to, to be his church together. As we figure that out, can I encourage you, if you're ever here on a Sunday morning and you're walking like a block or two or three blocks, take a minute and pray for this neighborhood. Just pray for every house you walk by, for every person out in their lawn in the rain. Uh, as you imagine people that you're walking by, as we're all walking through this neighborhood to get into this building, pray for them. Pray out loud, pray in your hearts. We are here for a reason. The church doesn't merely exist for like the spiritually inclined. Like this is our little exclusive club for just, you know, for us. Um, it is for us. Like we, we count. We're, we're part of the church. But, but we're here to bless our city, this community. We want to see more people be given the opportunity to experience uh, truth, grace, and ultimately new life in Jesus Christ. And a big part of that is just praying for people, people that perhaps you've never even met, just starting to pray for our community. You guys with me? Speaking of community, speaking of together, we've been working through this sermon series that we've entitled Life Together. If you've been around, you, you know what I'm talking about. We're three or four weeks into it now. And the big idea is this, that being a part of, let me put it this way, following Jesus is much, much more than just a journey of intellectual ascent. It's more than just believing certain religious things about the Bible or about Christ. Um, it does include that. There's, there's, there's a truth element to being a Christian, and it's very, very significant. But just as significantly is being the family of God. I love what, Hannah, where, where are you? There you are. Family. I love how Hannah, you're always talking about family. Hannah and Gabe, you guys are family people if there ever, if there ever was one. 
Part of following Jesus means being God's people together, like a family, like a church family, a spiritual family. And so when we come together, even though we're all sort of socially distanced and locked into our pews, and there's this sense that we're just like, are we really together? It doesn't feel super together-ish. Well, we are together. We want to be together. We want to fight to be together. Um, I think one of the reasons why I have felt quite strongly, and I know that as I've been speaking with different people in our church, different leaders, there's been this sense that, man, it feels like the church has been um, just kind of been through the ringer for 2020. It feels like, man, we're we're struggling to be together for obvious reasons, like lockdown and pandemics, that, that makes it a bit hard to be socially engaged. But even just the fact that we've been apart for like the better part of a year, it feels like, man, we've got to, we've got to come together. We've got to remember that the people of God aren't just a group of people who believe a certain thing. We're, we're meant to be this like family. We're meant to embody the gospel. So we're talking about life together. How do we actually pull that off? How do, how, do we, how do we come together? How do we keep it together? How do we try to be the family of God when things get especially complicated? Has 2020 been a slightly complicated year? A little bit. Has anyone felt like relational strain? Just me, me and my drama. <laughs> yeah. As a church family, I want us to, to grow together in, in how we actually become a healthy community that's able to navigate through like difficult things, trials, tensions that would perhaps threaten to break apart relationships marriages, families, church. How do we do that? So that's what we've been talking about. Let's, let's go ahead and jump into God's word. Enough introduction. Mark 14 is where we're going to go this morning. Last week I preached a message that I'd never ever preached before. This morning I'd like to share something that I've actually I've, I've preached on this passage many, many times. It's one of my favorite passages. Um, so here we go. Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that is Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast lest there be an uproar from the people. They were worried about a riot, apparently. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head, Jesus' head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii 
and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him, to betray Jesus. So it's just a few days before the Passover is where the passage begins. Less than a week away from Jesus' crucifixion. It's all beginning to ramp up. And Jesus, his disciples, Simon the leper, who presumably doesn't have leprosy anymore because Jesus probably healed him, I think is, is what's meant to be implied there. A woman, are all together at the dinner table, just enjoying a meal, enjoying the presence of Jesus, enjoying being together, fellowship, as we say. If that's not a snapshot of life together with Jesus, I don't know what is. I mean, I love just imagining that the vibe, just a bunch of people sitting around a dinner table. There's Simon the leper, the guy that was miraculously healed. There's some others there who are probably just lingering about, kind of tending to the, the logistics of the evening, preparing the food. The disciples who were constantly debating and bickering and and, and arguing about this and that and trying to figure out Jesus' next move. And, and yet they're around the dinner table. They're just enjoying the moment. And this is, this is what I dream of when it comes to church. The pews were like a, a point of major debate. Do we leave the pews? Do we? Because I love the idea of just getting in a circle where you can actually see each other in the eyes and sharing a meal So here they are, and then in walks a woman full of an alabaster flask of pure nard. Apparently nard is uh, sort of like an essential oil that comes from a flower that's only found in different parts of Asia, so that's nard. Love that word. <laughs> Always makes me think of Andrew Bernard the nard dog. You know, I've been mistaken for Ed Helms more than once. No joke. I've actually, I was sitting in a cafe one time in North Portland and someone came up to me. Ed Helms? Not Ed Helms? I, I don't see it. In walks a woman with a jar of pure nard. She breaks it open so apparently it would have been like sealed, would have been very, very expensive, 300 denarii. A denarii is like a, a day's wage. So almost an entire year's salary is contained in this, this jar full of expensive oil, 
perfume. And she breaks it off so it can't be resealed, and she begins to pour it on Jesus. I mean, I get the idea that it's probably a fairly large jar. She's just, just dumping it on him. <laughs> Anytime you get a group of people together, it's only a matter of time before someone just does or say something super awkward. And it's usually me, at least like five times out of ten. Eventually, someone's going to do something that ends up upsetting half the room, which is exactly what happened. So some of the disciples began to say to themselves indignantly, why the waste? Who is this lady? What is she doing? And it would seem they're, they're offended, they're put off. Have you ever been that lady? Have you ever been in a setting, um, perhaps a Sunday morning, and you're just so captivated with Jesus? You're just so caught up in the moment. You just, you, you, you're overwhelmed with your affection for Jesus that you find yourself about to do something that could just be totally awkward, completely misunderstood, but, but you just... You can't help yourself. Have you ever have you ever been in that have you ever been that woman? Some of you are like, heck no. <laughs> I make it a point to never be that woman. <laughs> and some of you have. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you do something that's a bit extravagant. Something that's not, I don't know appropriate, uninhibited, unashamed, raw, vulnerable expression of your affection for Jesus. And at this moment, it meant that this woman who would seem took the most valuable thing that she had. That's what Jesus said. She did what she could. She took this, her probably her, her greatest resource and thought, I'll anoint him. I'll pour, I'll use it all for Jesus. Because apparently there was something about this man that had captivated the affection of this woman. And she poured it all out. And the next thing you know, the room is like split in half. You have some people grumbling to themselves. What a waste. So inappropriate. It's one of the risky things about being uh, a church family that really desires to, to engage emotionally. Not like hyper-emotion. That's never really a good thing. But when we sing songs, one of the reasons why we worship in song is because it helps us to worship with our emotions Sometimes you'll see someone raising their hand. Sometimes when you raise a hand or, or two hands, when you use your voice, you're actually worshiping with your body. You know, we're not just thoughts and feelings that happen to be moving around in this vehicle we call body. We are embodied beings. 
when God made Adam and Eve, he made them out of dirt. He made them embodied creatures and then breathed his spirit into them. We're meant to actually worship with all of our being. But the risk is sometimes that can get a little awkward. Like, I don't really know what to do with my body. It's like you're aware that the person standing next to you has got like one hand up, or maybe they're like singing in some kind of different way. Maybe they're completely out of key. And 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 but we're all trying. We're all we're all trying to engage with Jesus. And then eventually maybe someone does something in a way that you're like, oh, that's not right. That was inappropriate. That was theologically inaccurate. And the room is split. And half of us are sitting there trying to engage with Jesus in some deeply meaningful, beautiful way while the other half is like judging in their hearts. Like, oh, that was, that was out of line. What a waste. So inappropriate. Someone needs to talk to this person. And the room is divided. Half the room was indignant, offended by the wasted nard. Have you ever been one of those people? So let's, we'll come back to the woman in a second, but what about the disciples in the room who did feel indignant? And apparently they had like a, a legitimate reason for feeling that way. I mean, they, it's not like they were being just blatantly uh, harsh or hypocritical. They, they were actually, it would seem, legitimately concerned for like the use of resources and the fact that that could have been sold and money could have been used to provide for the poor. That sounds like something Jesus would be totally into. And so the disciples are all sitting there thinking, or at least the ones who, who were saying to themselves indignantly, what a waste. You could argue, it's like, well, I mean, let's be fair. They weren't being like complete jerks. They were actually concerned for the stewardship of resources. And so you could argue that technically they were right and yet totally wrong. Totally wrong. She's not doing it right. I've been in prayer meetings where, um, this was a long time ago, where I've had people um, leave the prayer meeting and I'll follow up, you know, maybe two, three weeks go by and I say, hey, where you been? How come you don't come to the prayer meeting anymore? And they said, well, you know, I didn't really like the way so-and-so was. To be honest with you, they, they put me off. Let me just put it that way. And I thought to myself, I wonder if their prayer is putting Jesus off. You ever wonder that to yourself? You, we get convinced in our own minds that we are justified in our critique of the way someone else is doing it, maybe the way they're praying, the way they're worshiping, the way they're interacting, the way they're actually trying to, to come 
before Jesus and pour out whatever they've got, their expression of affection, their attempt to worship, their desire to get close to their Savior. And maybe technically they're not quite doing it right. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting? Now I'm talking like a guy who goes to a lot of prayer meetings. But have you ever been in a prayer meeting and you hear some, someone, hearing someone pray and you're like, oh my gosh, like I think you just prayed heresy. <laughs> Pretty sure that, that that's not quite biblical. And then I start to feel indignant in my heart, like, well, that's not right. And then occasionally, it's as if Jesus will very gently, sometimes quite firmly, stop me and say, hey, <laughs> why don't you take the theologic, you know, the theology police down a notch, okay? Yeah, trust me, I know that their theology isn't quite right. And guess what, buddy? <laughs> Yours isn't exactly perfect either. There was something about this, the way this woman was worshiping Jesus. Jesus seemed to just sort of like cut right through to the heart. Now let, let me say this. Is it possible that someone might do something, say something, maybe express worship in a certain way, um, articulate a theological thing a certain way that's actually wrong and and probably not helpful Pro probably even hurtful in some instances and sure we could just say oh well god knows their heart my grandma used to always say that whenever she would talk about someone in the family who was like either strung out or in jail well the lord knows their heart and i think to myself yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right. I don't know if that's like a good thing. <laughs> like, <coughs> I mean, I know my heart, and sometimes I'm hoping God's not looking too closely at mine. But this idea of like, oh, God knows their heart. Yeah, I know. It's terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying and wonderful all at the same time because Jesus does know your heart. He knows what you're trying to say when you're bumbling and fumbling with your words and your thoughts. He knows what you're actually trying to express when everything you're doing is just coming out awkward. And it seems like the whole world misunderstands your genuine affection. And Jesus absolutely sees straight to our hearts. You know, the first time Jesus disclosed his ultimate plans to go to the cross, Peter, who would have been there at the dinner party, Peter was right there to correct Jesus and say, Jesus, no, no, no. What, what, what is this? Wait, what are you saying? You're going to go to Jerusalem where you're going to be handed over to the chief priests and elders that they might crucify you? No, that's not a good look for the movement. Okay, And he pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Jesus looks around. He notices all of the disciples are listening. He reverses the situation and proceeds to correct Peter. And he, he literally says these words. It's so extreme. Get behind me, Satan. It's the 
relatively sharp rebuke. In other words, okay, what you're doing right now, I get it that your, your heart is, is maybe kind of in the right place, but you're absolutely 100% wrong, and I'm going to correct you in front of the whole group right now. That's, that's severe. Why would Jesus do that then? What was, so here's, what, here's the point that I want to make. Sometimes when we're attempting to follow Jesus, and perhaps we're not quite getting it right, like all the time, and Jesus is looking at our heart, when is it appropriate to say, okay, it may be a matter of the heart, it's always a matter of the heart, but if what you are doing is somehow trying to circumvent Jesus' journey to the cross, you're wrong. And I don't care how genuine you feel in your heart. Okay, you are now opposing the very vision and heart of God. You need to be lovingly corrected. We talked about that last week. At this dinner party, this woman, and she may be making a mess. She may be wrecking the whole party. I mean, they're trying to have a meal. The next thing you know, just like glug, 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 like a whole bottle of nard. And Jesus scolds the disciples because they're judging her. Why? Well, in this case, it said that she was preparing Jesus for the cross. See, this is a bit of a litmus test. When we come together and someone says something or does something, and it's like, oh, that, that felt a little off. I don't know if that was quite right. Okay, before we begin to indignantly judge our brother or sister, take a big step back and say, okay, is what they're doing or saying, is it leaning into the cross? Or is it somehow trying to use Jesus in such a way that we can avoid dying to self and surrendering to Jesus or not? See, so this, this, this will help us. This will help us when someone says something at the prayer meeting or in the worship service with the small group or in life or whatever, and you're like, bro, that's, no, what, what are you doing? Put away the nard. Put away the nard. Before we start to judge one another, again, ask yourself the question, like, okay, this may not be quite perfect. This whole situation is incredibly awkward, but where is their heart leaning towards? Is this their way of surrendering more of themselves to trust Jesus in new ways? Is this a genuine expression of affection, a pouring out of oneself so that they might trust Jesus in more ways? Are they figuring out an awkward way to die to self so that we might find new life in Jesus? Because that's, that's where we end up. That's the cross. Or is there something about the situation where they're just trying to sort of use the moment, use Jesus, use the spiritual vibe happening here to somehow, I don't know, draw attention to themselves? Use Jesus for a bit of a self-help, personal improvement. See, the fundamental journey of the Christian is always to the cross. Jesus is always leading us to the cross. We're learning how to surrender more of our lives, 
We're learning how to die more and more to self so that we might live a new life, that we might experience more resurrection life, that we might find our security, our identity, our sense of of security, our hope, our life, our everything, our future, our eternity, everything that we're looking for, we find in Jesus, but only when we lose our life so that we can be raised up with him and experience a new kind of life. This is the picture of the outpouring. This woman's pouring out the most valuable thing that she has. And Jesus says, yes, yes. Sure, maybe you could use it for the the poor. There'll be plenty of opportunities. But what this woman's doing right now, it's beautiful. And then there's Judas Iscariot. Judas actually leaves the party. Okay, if you didn't grow up going to Sunday school, Judas Iscariot, he's he's the quintessential baddie. He's the guy who betrays Jesus, one of the core 12, who ends up deciding, no, I've, I've had enough. I've had enough. And he goes to the chief priests and he agrees to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Have you ever been that guy? Let's get a raise of hands. And no one would ever, ever admit to that. Let me me make a little point though. No one would ever admit to that. But there is something that something about the human heart. We may never forsake Jesus if you are a Christian, but how many times do we walk out on a brother or sister? How many times have we come to that place where we say, you know what, I'm, nah, I'm, I'm over it, I'm done. I'm gonna just see my way out. Don't, don't, don't bother shutting the door, I'm, I'm good. And, and we leave, we break relationship, we walk out on a family member, bail on church, because someone has said something. <laughs> Oftentimes it's, it's whoever's got the mic. Someone finally says something that just makes you feel indignant. You're like, I'm out, I'm out, just go. And you leave. And you say, yeah, yeah, but that's not Jesus. Yeah, it is. Let me, let me read to you this. Matthew 25. Jesus is talking about end times. When he returns. And he finally, eternally establishes his kingdom on earth. As it's always existed in heaven. He says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goat. There's going to be a final judgment. I'm going to separate the sheep from the goat. And those who I find that have put their trust in me, those who are actual members of my family, I'm going to say, come, 
You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers or sisters, you did to me. And then there, from there proceeds to talk about a life of taking up your cross. When Peter, after Jesus dies and is resurrected, and, and it would seem Peter's finally beginning to connect the dots, the, the same one that was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross, ends up betraying Jesus himself, and then eventually Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and he goes and he finds Peter, and he calls him to himself, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Do you love me? You know I love you. Then tend my sheep. Because the third time, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. If we love Jesus, we love his people. If we love Jesus, we love our brothers and sisters. If we forsake a brother or sister, we forsake Jesus. You cannot separate out the two. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And what's the commandment? Love one another. We can't separate those things out, guys. Jesus doesn't let us. We may never walk out and sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but we'll walk out on our church, on our family, on our brother or sister all day long if we ever get to the point in our hearts where we're just indignant enough. And this is a real challenge. Life together. This is where the action's at. This is where the real miracle begins to happen. One of you in here is eventually going to bust out some nard. And you're just going to just, just start getting awkward with it. You're going to say something. I'm going to say something. It's going to sound a little off. You're going to be like, what the, what did you, why, why are we doing that? What's that group all about? Like, I don't what? Like, I don't like that. Like, that's, that doesn't seem proper. That's not theologically correct. And so I don't mean to get like all nasty about it. But you hear this stuff. You hear this stuff and you're like, oh, you're indignant. And you've got a very like legitimate reason for feeling indignant. But I'm afraid what you're calling ugly and inappropriate, Jesus may look at and call beautiful. What person at that party will you be? Can we stand together, please? So here's the invitation. Worship team, will you join me at please Jesus said 
Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. In other words, this, this will be the quintessential gospel illustration. Wherever the good news is proclaimed about who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus, his work on the cross, his death for us, his invitation to new life, wherever that's talked about, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. There's an invitation for us here. There's an invitation to experience a life of pouring out. Like this woman, she poured out the most expensive, valuable thing that she had. There's an invitation to live a life of sacrificial adoration, uninhibited worship, a life that is so caught up in the love of Jesus that you do not care what anyone else might think about it. There's an invitation to live a life of worship, a life of vulnerability, a life of beauty, a life of wonder, a life of adventure, a life that's fully alive. This is the invitation for us today. Not because we're trying to get something from someone. Not because the woman was thinking, man, if I do this, if I pour out my nard now, do maybe all... Maybe this is my moment to somehow leverage Jesus' affection. And if I do this, then maybe he'll do something for me. I think that would be to completely misread the whole story. This is nothing like that. Jesus invites us to pour out everything. Not to get something from him, but because he's given us everything. This is an invitation to experience a life that is fueled by the love of God. My friends, you and I, we are loved. We are loved with a love that is so utterly unfathomable, it might make you do something silly. You got your nard? Pour it out out everything lose your life to follow after Jesus to trust Jesus because he wants to fill you up in a way that you couldn't even begin to imagine let's worship <laughs>